It's News Talk Tonight on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. And welcome back to News Talk Tonight. I am your host, Azure Tamara Cherry, coming at you from a somewhat snowy Saskatchewan. And our next guest comes, uh, joins us from the same time zone as me, which is very rare, I've got to say, but it's a pleasant surprise. He is a professor of history at Middle Tennessee State University and specializes in the Middle East, Southeast Asia, and political and socio-religious trends in the broader Islamic world. Uh, His name is Sean Foley, and he joins us now. Sean, the reason we want to talk to you today is because Of course, after a week of delays and intense negotiations, the United Nations 15-member Security Council voted today to adopt a bid to boost humanitarian aid to Gaza and called for urgent steps to, quote, create the conditions for a sustainable cessation of hostilities. Um, Sean, what does that mean in, in in lay language? It means that everybody, first of all, it's a pleasure to join you from the central time zone. I should yes. add, um, um, I live in um, I live in the U.S. Southeast, where it is actually much warmer. We do not have snow on the ground this year. Um, but We have very, uh, very little snow compared to what we usually have, but that's nice. Yeah. To give you an idea, it's close to 15C right now. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Just rub it in, and, Sean. Just yeah. go ahead and rub it in. <laughs> all right. So anyway, so, so let me, but let me, but let me say with, with this, and this is, but the cold conditions I think are exceptionally important. And I'm really actually happy you brought those up. The reason for that is simple. Um, the reason why this, this resolution was negotiated for which the United States, um, and also in, in particular, the United Arab, the United Arab Emirates, which is the only Arab, only Arab member of the Security Council, which brought this up, is because of the horrific conditions that are in Gaza. Mm-hmm. Um, nearly a quarter of the population is facing catastrophic um, hunger. Again, there's phrases like food insecurity doesn't give it justice. Yeah. This is a, a condition in which people are starving, um, in which there are significant worries about disease and other types of issues. And, and again, in a region of the world that's already extraordinarily poor, the Strip, but it's faced intense bombardment and other types of things. And part of this is a recognition on the part, not only of regional powers like the United Arab Emirates, Mm -hmm. but also of the United States, that this is an enormous humanitarian catastrophe that's on the verge of happening and something had to be done. And indeed, the the measure is a good, as was mentioned by Oman's first minister, it is progress. Mm -hmm. It is an opening progress by which they can begin to get the conditions to get aid in, to begin to help alleviate the enormous suffering that's been, that that is that the people of Gaza are facing right now. That's something that this is why this is being passed, and hopefully, it's also as a process, as you said correctly, to help and to begin to help to create the conditions to bring the hostages who are still there are still over a hundred that are in Gaza home to potentially also end the conditions by which the um the people of Israel are still being subjected to rocket attacks from Gaza and to end the enormous suffering that's going on in Gaza and to find a way towards hostility, to end hostilities. And also more broadly, again, this resolution includes specific people as part of the UN to control, to understand what types of resources are getting in to make certain humanitarian aid is getting in and also to prevent other issues, including um, near the Red Sea and also potentially in Northern Israel and Southern Lebanon, from becoming even worse and exploding into a regional conflict. And this is all part of of a diplomatic process by which the United States is part of, but also to to be blunt, Canada's also played 
um, an important role as one of the most important American allies in this region. And I should add one other thing. There are Canadians, again, the Canadian government recently mm -hmm. passed, recently announced rules to allow more Canadians who have family and relatives in Gaza to, to be involved, to, to come to Canada as well. And again, these are direct connections. And again, this is an important part of the world. And, you know, the issues with the Red Sea, the issues with these, with Gaza, all will affect everyone, even as far away as Canada. Uh, if you're just joining us, I'm Tamara Cherian for Jim Richards, and I'm speaking with Sean Foley, a pro professor at, of history at Middle Tennessee State University. He's published widely on the arts, Islamic history, Middle East, and Gulf politics. And Sean, I mentioned at the beginning that this, this, um, moved today by the United Nations Security Council came after a week of delays and intense negotiations. Can you sort of walk us through what was happening in these negotiations specifically, you know, because there were there were issues, really contentious issues for both the United States, for Russia. Why did it take so long to get to this? Vote. That's an excellent question. I think part of what we, we we need to back up is understand the UN Security Council is an important part of the UN. It gets to set international law. And there are members on it who are permanent, and there are members on it who come on and come off. And the permanent five are by far the most important. The United States and the Russian Federation are two of the most important, and they both have an important power. Um, like the other permanent members, France, Great Britain, and China, they have the ability to veto a resolution. That even mm. if everybody else on the Security Council says, we want this, those five permanent members can say, no, absolutely, this will not pass. And so part of part of this negotiation meant for the last week was finding a text of a draft of a resolution by which the United States and later with Russia, which had two very different perspectives on how to, how to deal with the violence in Gaza, could both accept and not exercise that very powerful option to exercise the veto, and particularly the mm -hmm. United States, which has a close strategic, a political, um, relationship with Israel and often will you and has used its veto power in the past to veto resolutions that it believes are inconsistent with American interests, but also inconsistent what it believes are with is with what it believes are Israeli interests as well. That the alliance is very close. So the first thing is that they had to find a text of a resolution that would allow the United States, in partnership with Israel, not to exercise that. But also the Russians believed. Um, that they they made a threat to exercise their own veto because they mm -hmm. felt that there needed to be an end to the violence. Again, um, the Omani foreign minister noted that the only way, again, he noted Oman is an important, uh, mm -hmm. an important country in the Middle East, bordering the Red Sea and part of the Arab world, It's for, that Oman's foreign minister noted this was a good first step. But he also added that the only way to alleviate the suffering was to have a ceasefire. He said that mm -hmm. is essential. And again, that is consistent, I should note, with Canadian policy um, as well, that a, a desire of both Canadians, the British and others, the Germans, in order to negotiate a way of getting to a ceasefire. And so over the week, what it was, was both sides had to find a way to get a negotiated text. There were rumors initially that there was enormous gaps, but by yesterday, we got to the point where both the United Arab Emirates, which initially drafted the resolution, mm -hmm. and the United States had gotten to the point, along with the Russians, where the draft was good enough that they could let it through. They, they Both Russia and the United States didn't vote for yeah. it. Yeah, they the both abstained. Here, they abstained, but the key thing is they didn't veto it. And right. that's really what the negotiations were over the last week were over that. 
And also, um, I should note, as part of larger negotiations that the United States is undertaking to try to limit a potential conflict between Israel and Hezbollah, um, an organization in Lebanon that um, has enormous influence, particularly in the southern part of the country, and for which Israel has issues, and also with the Red Sea as well. Now, there's a lot of political action going on in the Red Sea. Again, Canada has agreed to be part of a coalition, a small part, but part of a coalition that will try to allow for free, free shipping that has been threatened by an ally of Iran. Again, Iran and this ally, the Houthis, are both see themselves as opposing Israel and hoping to use their hoping to use attacks on shipping in the Red Sea as a way to force the Israelis or at least have an impact on them in Gaza as well. Sean, we just have a minute left, but where do we so where do we go from here? This vote has passed. What does this mean practically on the ground? Because the United Nations Secretary General was saying today, um, you know, effective aid operation requires security, logistical capacity, the resumption of commercial activity. Uh, can you just sum up what the next steps will will look like? The first step is is to accelerate aid to get to the people of Gaza, which is absolutely essential. That's the first thing that's going to happen here as part of this of, of that process. The second part, um, to be blunt, is part. This is part and parcel of a long series of steps involving multiple countries, Qatar, the United States, Israel, and others. Um, that will begin the process of further leading us towards the cessation of hostilities. And once the hostilities end, the process of rebuilding Gaza and finding a new governing structure for them. Those are the three things that are happening. Get aid in and find a way to end the war. And I should add, not only end the war, get the hostages home. Wonderful. Sean Foley, uh, thank you so much for your time tonight. Of course, Sean is a professor of history at Middle Tennessee State University, specializes in the Middle East, Southeast Asia, and political and socio-religious trends in the broader Islamic world, and probably one of the busiest uh, people in the United States right now. So I really appreciate you taking the time to walk us through this very nuanced and complicated issue. Thank you very much, and I wish you and your listeners a Merry Christmas and a wonderful New Year. Right back at you. Thanks, Sean. It's News Talk Tonight on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Welcome back to News Talk Tonight. I am your host for the evening, Tamara Cherry. If you have suffered a loss this year, uh, maybe you've lost a loved one, maybe you suffered a traumatic loss many years ago, you can probably relate to the fact that this time of year is one of the most difficult for the many people out there who have hurting hearts goes along with birthdays, anniversaries, Mother's Day, Father's Day, all of those days that are supposed to bring us joy that end up hurting us more than helping us heal. Well, my next guest um, may be turning the corner on that, and I'm so looking forward to this conversation. You've heard her on this radio station before. I believe that I spoke with her at this time last year to talk about grief. Her name is Shauna Brown. She's a homicide survivor. She has been for a handful of years now. And when I emailed Shauna earlier this month, you know, we were talking about the holidays and different stuff coming up. And she wrote back to me, this is probably the first Christmas in a very long time where the smile on my face about Christmas is in unison with how I feel inside. And that line just grabbed my heart. And I asked Shauna if, if she'd be willing to come on the radio and talk about that. And she said, as always, I welcome any opportunity to share my light in the hopes that it can help others find theirs. 
Shauna Brown, I absolutely adore you. You know that. Why don't you first, thank you for joining us. Why don't you just start out by introducing yourself? Thank you so very much, Tamara. Um, and likewise, uh, my name is Shauna Brown. And um, as Tamara indicated, I am a homicide survivor. I um, I will not say lost. My son was taken from me on July 23rd of 2017. His name is, not was, is Damal Graham. Um, and he was my baby boy. And it's been a very, very long, long journey um, with lots of valleys and ups and downs. Um, and it is a journey that will, one that I will forever be on, um, but one that I'm kind of navigating now. And I feel that I'm much more in control Mm-hmm. Um, of that journey, whereas before I, I, I wasn't. So I think that's been a huge, huge factor in where and why I'm feeling um, how I am this year at Christmas time. I love that because the loss of control is such a huge part of trauma, isn't it? Um, Shauna, what has Christmas represented for you over the years? Um, well, Christmas always has been a, um, for me, a, a time of, of giving most importantly, a, a time of spending time with family. I come from a, my mom has a very big family. Uh, she's one of nine. So, um, and uh, she was one of the oldest. So um, I was the only grandchild for many years. So mm. um, just, you know, remembering um, years of, you know, sitting at Christmas dinner surrounded by family and everybody opening gifts and just laughing and everybody having a good time and just really genuinely, genuinely appreciating and, and taking time out of our busy schedules and our lives and what we're doing just to really make an effort and a conscious effort to spend time with one another um, and create more memories. So it's, it, it's always been something um, that's been important to me um, and always held um, a family at, at the foundation of it all. Sounds a lot like my family. I can so relate to what you were saying. Um, and, and you being the only grandchild for a long time, I bet that you were just doted on during those Christmases growing up. Um, so then how did the meaning of Christmas change for you during during your your hardships? You know, after, after Damal died, um, if you can bring us back, if you're comfortable doing so, what those first Christmases were like and, and how it sort of evolved over the years? Um, well, most definitely it changed. As I said, he, um, he was killed in July. Yeah. So, uh, July of 2017 was my first Christmas, um, having to navigate without him. This is now going on my seventh Christmas, um, without him. Um, and, and it was hard, especially that first year, especially when you go through the firsts of everything, the, the first Christmas, the first birthday, the, um, my, I, I think the hardest one was my first birthday mm. uh, because it was about me. Uh, every other thing was, you know, Christmas. It was about other people. It mm. was, so I kind of could distract from it. Um, find, like my birthday, what, that was probably the hardest. I remember being in yoga in Shavasana and just crying mm. and getting up from there and just saying, no, I need to be at the cemetery. And that's exactly where I went. And I just felt that peace. So again, it's, it's about how you navigate it. Um, for me as well too, um, Damal lost his dad when he was 12. So um, trips, 
yearly, uh, I mean, part of our Christmas tradition, unfortunately, for many years has already been going to the cemetery. So that part um, was already kind of familiar to me, um, unfortunately. But having to go up there um, on the first Christmas without him, that was extremely difficult. Um, I think that having strong people around you and support systems around you are are huge. Um, during that time, I remember our first Christmas up there, I had um, family members and I had uh, my the, the father of my daughters. He had actually bought like a wreath, um, like for my in, in my name um like with him like for christmas he actually cleared the snow like and th and those are things that i remember because we, he didn't have a stone at that time mm -hmm. so th those are the the simple little things that people don't realize how impactful they mean mm -hmm. um and how much you refer back to those when you're reflecting back on your journey mm -hmm. so throughout the years it, it it's been difficult and then we also you know we, we had that then we also had the pandemic um so then i was also dealing with christmases so i was dealing with the loss of him at christmas i was also dealing with the separation of my daughter because mm -hmm. she was at school so yeah. i was going through other losses um and then we also had the year that i was um, going through my uh, cancer journey. Mm -hmm. So um, it was just kind of one thing on top of the other. We never really had a, a, a chance to kind of really heal. And then, you know, um, and then we also had to move. Um, and so I think last yeah. Christmas was kind of like the first one, but I was still, we had just moved into our new place as of November. Mm -hmm. So I was still kind of reeling from the emotions leading up to all of that. No so this is kind of really the first year where things actually feel like there's a foundation. I'm actually kind of navigating and feeling my new normal, yeah. if, if, if that makes sense. And, and that's something that, um, what your the life that you knew um, that what you resorted to that what you referred to that you did every day as a routine um, every year traditions all of that was shattered so my new normal I had to find my new normal um, so it's it, it's taken me quite a few years and and I'll continue to navigate and and find that but again I'm finally at a place where I'm in control of it and it's not in control of me and I think that's probably the biggest triumph for me mm -hmm. that I've turned my 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 trauma into into triumph um oh, and love that and 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 that's and and that's huge it, it's been a huge huge year for me um and I know I have a lot of growing and and a lot of healing that I have to do but um I'm not one usually to kind of toot my own horn but I like I'm damn proud of myself for what mm. I've gone through and what I've been able to accomplish and I'm ready to to celebrate that year uh, to celebrate that this year. I also know there's going to be tears but while they're th those tears aren't here um and I know that they will come and when they do come I welcome them I embrace them and and I deal with them how I deal with them and if it takes me a day if it takes me 3 if it a week however long whatever then I move on from that. Mm -hmm. Um but I'll deal with it when it's when it comes right now. I'm just really um, enjoying the the holiday season and, and what we've accomplished as a family this year, what I've been able to do for myself, but also what's that what that has translated to my daughters and to my granddaughter as well and what I, they've accomplished. I want to get into more of that after the break. And I also want to say, Shauna, that I think if I remember correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, I think when we were talking about this last year, 
when you talked about the tears that come, you said you honor those tears. When they come, you honor them. You know, that is, that's your love for Damal coming out. Um, I'm speaking with Shauna Brown, who's in Toronto today. And uh, she's a homicide survivor, cancer survivor, a survivor of so many things, really. And what used to be one of the hardest times of the year for her, she, she, she told me earlier this month that she thought that this would be the first time that her smile on the outside reflected her feelings inside around Christmas. We're going to talk more about that coming up after the break. I'm Tamara Cherry, in for Jim Richards. News Talk Tonight continues on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Welcome back to News Talk Tonight. I am your host for the evening, Tamara Cherry. If you're just joining us, I am in the middle of a conversation with Shauna Brown. She is a homicide survivor whose son, Damal, was murdered in Toronto on July 23rd, 2017. And I had Shauna on last year around this time to talk about grief over the holidays and to talk about, you know, how you might approach people who have suffered a recent loss or maybe even a significant loss that happened a long time ago, as this is, of course, one of the hardest times of the years for so many. And Shauna told me earlier this month that this is probably the first Christmas in a very long time where the smile on her face about Christmas is in unison with how she feels inside. And I thought, what a great message of hope for all those who might be out there hurting right now from a recent loss or maybe a loss that happened many years ago. So Shauna, you were telling us before the break about how um, losing Damal shattered so many traditions, so many Christmas traditions for you. Christmas, which was for you growing up such a a positive time for family in your life, you know, and, and suddenly you had this empty seat at the table, what you were sharing about how, how awful that was for so many years. Cause you said, this is your seventh Christmas. This will be your seventh Christmas without Damal. First six were very hard. Um, is that a common sentiment among trauma survivors? I know that, I know that you're, you have a lot of friends who have unfortunately, you know, become friends of the same club that you're in. <clears throat> Um, is that a common sentiment you guys talk about over the holidays? Um, well, I think first and foremost, um, there are lots of different factors that, that play into it. And, um, and I say this all the time and everybody's journey is different, um, because everybody's relationship and relationships and circumstances, um, how they cope with, with, with the trauma and also on top of it, what else is also compounded and added on top of that trauma. You know, for example, if they have, you know, multiple losses or a recent loss, they could be, you know, five years into their, their healing, but then um, they have a, a loss of a significant person in their life. And now that's kind of reset it back. And, you know, they may have mm. to go, you know, through that process again, because it triggers lots of things. So um, I think most importantly, um, what I've learned is um, to respect that everybody's journey is is the same I would never say to somebody oh come on it's been how many years you know like why are you why are you not this further along it's it's ironic because I just had a conversation with somebody earlier today um, who is of a different faith and and religion but you know who indicated that you know it's now their second time or their second year anniversary of the the passing of their father Um, and you know they still find it hard but they're working on it and we just had an 
open conversation, but that's also because I've had those conversations. I'm very open mm-hmm. um, about my loss. Just again, because I, I, I want to make those conversations normal conversations. Yes. Um, and they need to be normal conversations because we all experience the loss um, mm-hmm. and, and, and grief. So I, I think, and as a result, mental health is impacted. So I think it's, it's very important to continue mm-hmm. to have those, um, those, um, those conversations. Um, and specifically with, you know, for example, like I, I do have very close relationships with several moms that have also lost their children um, and their sons. And again, we, we, we don't compare, we don't compete. We do, we provide compassion to, to, to one another. We are, are happy for, for those that are in a, you know, in, in a better place. And again, we see that as something to attain to and something that, that we can, you know, at, at, as a sense of hope mm. at the same time, we also, um, you know, understand if, if somebody is also not where, where we are at, um, or if, 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 if they are struggling, then, then we give them that compassion. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, going, Oh, Hey, like, great. I, I've had a great year and, you know, and rubbing it in somebody's face. Mm-hmm. But uh, again, it's, um, you just have to be very careful, obviously, and very sensitive with your words. Um, but, um, first and foremost, I, people have seen my pain. People have seen me go through everything that I've gone through and I'm um, not a boastful person. uh, But at the same time, I think it's also important that, you know, people see that this is what can happen. These are the positive things that, you know, that, that are awaiting Mm -hmm. and and that can be a a part of your life. um, Even, even through grief and, and, and through trauma with, with, with the right, love and yeah, the right support and compassion, yeah. as you said. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm speaking with Shauna Brown. She's a homicide survivor who for many years has, has struggled through the holidays to put that smile on her face, but is in such a better place for various reasons right now. And Shauna, you just mentioned conversations and you want to make these conversations normal. <clears throat> Let's talk about conversations that you have with people who have not suffered maybe a traumatic loss or are not in a state of grief as you have been, what would your, what is your message to people whose family members, friends, coworkers, somebody that they meet at, you know, church or temple or wherever who suffered a loss during this time of a year or, or really any significant time of the year that is usually um, for happy memories, not sad ones. What would you tell to people in terms of what they should say to that that person or offer to that person? I would say first and foremost, if you are not familiar with the pain, please don't be a part of the pain. Don't add more onto that person's life. Um, you don't know. Um, you know, there's there's tons of sayings all the time that you you don't know that little bit of act of kindness and how impactful it can be on somebody, and how um, you know somebody could be on their very very last thread, at, especially at this time of year because it does bring up so much. So just showing kindness and compassion, mm-hmm. and you know, it's it, it's really no different. And I think that what what a lot of people fail to realize is that we we enjoy and we want to talk about our loved ones mm. because they are still here. They're still present. Just it, it, it's no different than you, you talk about the accomplishments or the accolades of, you know, of, of somebody else's child. Well, sure. I, I still like to talk about the accomplishments of my son. 
Yeah. Tell you us know, about Damal. Like, tell, tell us about Damal, Shauna. He, he was an amazing, amazing person. He had a heart of gold. He loved his family. He loved his daughter. He was an amazing role model for his sisters um, and for his daughter. Um, you know, the, the, the day that he died, hours before that, he had just taken uh, my granddaughter to the movies. And that was something that was big because for him, somebody that suffered from anxiety, actually going into the movie theater and doing like it, that was a lot. So, um, and, and he was funny as anything. Um, mm -hmm. We always had great times. We always, always had great times. And the, the biggest thing is, um, as, as I said, was it was family. Family was mm -hmm. so important to him. Um, and it's something that we all attain to and continue to strive for myself and my daughters we continue to do everything that we do and the choices we make and the goals that we have in our life is for the betterment of ourselves but also in in the best interest of our family and and trying to help and support one another I love that I love that so much and I imagine you know the spirit of Damal and his hilarity and all of that being with oh, yeah. you and your family over the holidays we only have a minute left, Shauna, but will you get to spend the holidays with your daughters? I know you have one daughter. Your your oldest daughter is in California. She plays basketball, if I remember correctly, for Bakersfield, California State University in Bakersfield. And she is like a phenom. Um, so tell me, is she going to get to come home for Christmas to spend with you? Or are you here? Um, unfortunately, she will not be able to be home for Christmas because of her schedule. She will um, only have a couple of days off and then she has games, mm -hmm. um, but she will definitely be here with us in spirit and we will do our uh, video calls or and our FaceTime yeah. or WhatsApp oh, yeah. and yeah. yes, as we, as we always do. And yes, and she's doing her thing um, out in the West and awesome. I'm beyond, beyond proud of her and all of her accomplishments. I had so many of those video chats during big family gatherings when I I was living in Toronto before I moved back to Saskatchewan. So I feel that. Um, Shauna, I, there's a quote I want to read really quickly before we go. It's from a book called The Covenant of Water, uh, which is a novel by Abraham Verghese. And it's about a lot of traumas, a lot of traumatic losses that this family experiences throughout the generations. And after one traumatic loss, it talks about this protagonist named Big Amachi, uh, comforting the person who suffered the loss. And it says, and so Big Amachi offered herself. She offered her arms, her hands, her kisses, and her willingness to be wounded. And that has just stuck with me, that willingness to be wounded. You know, if you don't know what to do, just be have that willingness to be wounded by somebody who's hurting so much. So Shauna, you've taught me so much and uh, you continue to teach me so much. I'm so grateful for you. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you and your family. Thank you. And likewise to you and yours. Thank you. I'm Tamara Cherry in for Jim Richards. We'll have more coming up after the break. You're listening to News Talk Tonight on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Hello, I am Tamara Cherry filling in for host Jim Richards, who's on vacation. Speaking of vacation, Carmi Levy and I, Carmi's like one of those guys him and Dan Riskin, two of those guys that I just love when I'm hosting and they come on the show and we get to catch up off air. And Carmi and I were just catching up off air 
And he had seen a post that I put on social media yesterday about interviewing my dad, Mark Cherry, who's coming up on retirement after 45 years in medicine. And Carmi, you're just such a nice guy. And I'm just going to reiterate what you just said, because I bet my dad is listening. Carmi just said, well, I haven't met your dad. He sounds like an incredible guy. And just tell him congratulations. So dad, congratulations. We're very proud of you, Carmi and I, aren't we, Carmi? We absolutely uh, <laughs> are. Th thanks for so, having you done, Dr. Yeah. We will so more of you. As we, as we move into 2024, my dad's retirement is not the only th thing on the horizon. Uh, there are some key technology forecasts that you have for us tonight, Carmi, uh, for 2024. And some of this stuff sounds exciting, and some of it sounds kind of scary, and a lot of it sounds very expensive. So... Why don't we start with uh, AI? I mean, you you wrote in the email that you sent over that AI digs deep. I mean, AI is dug very deep this year with ChatGPT. Where do you expect it to go in, in 2024? Oh, it's going to weasel its way even more profoundly into our lives. The, the next generation of large language models, the technology that powers chatbots like ChatGPT uh, and Google's Bard is going to kind of hit mainstream. So GPT-4, Google's Gemini, Meta's Llama 2, uh, those do more than uh, current technologies do. They integrate text and uh, imagery and video and audio. Uh, the, the, the fidelity of the content that they produce far more lifelike. It'll be harder to tell the difference between real and AI generated. And what's different about AI in 2024 is that we're not going to have to go to a chatbot to experience it. It's coming to us. So if you look at regular tools that you use every day, Microsoft Office, mm. uh, the, the Edge browser, the Bing search engine, Windows, uh, it will be incorporated directly into those everyday tools. Same thing with Google. At some point, Google search is going to be AI powered, known as Google Search Experience or GSE. Uh, but all of Google service is increasingly taking on AI. And 2024 is the year where we're not going to have to go looking for AI. It's going to find us, whether we <sighs> like it or not, everything we use all the time. Uh, our lives are essentially going to be colored by it. Even if we don't want to, we're not going to be able to get away from it. I don't like this, Carmi. And I know yeah, that there's much. positive to it. It I just makes my the hair on my arms stand up. So when you say that it's going to be integrated, like or it is integrated uh, into things like Outlook, like how does that present itself? Because I know chat GPT, which I, to be honest, I haven't tried it out yet. You can go in and ask questions and then come up with content for you. What are, how is it being applied though, to these other sorts of applications? So I think Outlook is a really great use case. You, it, you know, usually when you go to write an email, you're, you're faced with a blank screen and you have to type everything from scratch. Whereas in, in Outlook powered by AI, uh, you can tell it, you know, please tell me your, or please suggest what kind of email I should write to my boss or to my significant other. Uh, you know, I need to write a letter explaining X, Y, or Z. And it will actually go ahead and create it right within the context of the email. And then you can go ahead and, you know, you know, doctor it up a little bit, make it prettier, but it'll essentially do a lot of the heavy lifting for you. It's kind of like, like right now, Outlook will give you little snippets to get you started. AI takes it that much further. It can you know, almost do the most of the creative work for you, and hopefully you just put the finishing touches on it. Um, with with uh, Bing, for example, and, and next year with Google uh, Search, uh, rather than just giving you a list of links, uh, it will actually do the work for you. So don't just give me a list of links telling me uh, where I should go take a vacation or where I should book. Actually go ahead and book those tickets for me. Here are the criteria that I'm looking for. Create an entire- Here's my credit card number. 
Exactly. And that's kind of where we're going, where uh, it's it it does things for us, doesn't just give us a, a bunch of links and tells us to do it. It does it for us, which is, you know, <sighs> it's both exciting and terrifying. Because Who needs I, a travel agent? Well, that's that's one. And two, the, the thing that kind of bothers me is AI still has a hallucination or a going rogue problem. It lies sometimes. It doesn't always get mm -hmm. it right. And even Microsoft admits that some of the Bing search results are not 100% accurate. And that's a problem because as we switch more to AI and we're using it more to book our trip, uh, mm -hmm. it might send us to the wrong London, right? What if it ends me to the wrong side of the Oh my gosh, could you imagine? It, <laughs> it, could, it could happen. And I think that's yeah. going to be an issue going forward. We've got to fix those underlying architectural problems before we lean more heavily on AI in the day-to-day. Okay, so um, getting even more away from reality, this is one of the things that was on my nine-year-old's Christmas list this year. Um, spoiler alert, he's not getting it, but virtual reality, VR, AR, MR, Apple has gotten into this space now um, and there are new virtual reality, or what is it? Virtual augmented mixed reality. What is this and what does it say about where different realities are going for the new year? Yeah, so virtual reality is when you you put a, a headset on, you can't see the outside. Augmented reality is like we're wearing a pair of glasses and the digital stuff gets gets, right. gets displayed in front of you. Uh, mixed reality is kind of like a mixture of the two, and that's what Apple's Vision Pro is. It's almost like uh, it's almost like a it's it's it combines everything into one, and it is supposedly the most sophisticated headset out there. Uh, they announced it last year. It'll start shipping and selling this year, close to $5,000 Canadian by the time we are able to wow. buy it. Uh, but you can buy cheaper versions from Meta, from Samsung, from Sony. So the interesting thing is Apple comes into a market, it legitimizes it. So mm -hmm. more companies are going to sell more. Uh, and, and 2024 is the year where it will go mainstream. You'll walk into a big box store. That's what's going to be front and center. That's what's going to be on everyone's Christmas list. If not this year, then definitely next year. So your son's definitely ahead of his time. Um, hmm. And, and even though we're not, most of us aren't probably going to buy an Apple. Most of us didn't buy the first iPhone either because it was kind of expensive at the time. And then eventually it became mainstream. That's where we're going. 2024 is the year where it sort of hits. And then later on in the year, new uh, cheaper comp competing devices uh, hit the market. And then over the next few years, Apple introduces version two, version three, version four, eventually it gets cheaper, smaller, faster. It, I won't look like the Borg when I'm wearing it because initially it still looks kind of weird, but at some point it'll just be like a regular pair of glasses and no one's even going to think twice about them. I, I think it's, I think it's smartphone. cool. I don't find that like scary, like the AI stuff. I think it's actually kind of cool because I am a tech geek when it comes to that. Yeah. So I'm interested to see, especially when you hear about Apple getting into it. Okay. We've only got like a minute and a half left, Carmi, but cyber attacks are going to get worse. Like I thought that our governments were waking up to this stuff. <laughs> they are, oh, no. but, 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 but not, not fast enough. Right. And other governments yes. like, like Russia, China, North Korea, and Iran uh, are, have woken up to it already. And they're pretty good at launching cyber attacks around the world, using it for statecraft. So, uh, you know, the, the, the problem here is, is that cyber uh, attacks are increasingly powered by AI and cyber criminals know this. So uh, you don't have to be a cyber expert in order to be a, a hacker. You can just mm. buy a kit that's powered by AI and you too can now attack people halfway around the world. And that's kind of where we're going next year. Expect it to scale up, expect there to be more attacks, more sophisticated. It's going to get harder to defend against. And as we've seen with the Toronto Public Library breach, for example, the ransomware mm -hmm. attack, we aren't putting enough into protective measures. And, and so, you, so you put the two together. We're vulnerable. Hackers are getting better and they're starting to use AI to, to launch more powerful attacks. It's a pretty bad recipe for 2024. That's the thing that keeps me up at night. Great. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So 
there is a there is a, a shed of light in this. Um, there, there's other bad stuff. Cars are becoming more connected, but they're going to be charging subscription fees. I don't like that. Uh, the economy. I mean, let's not even talk about the economy. Uh, tech adoption is getting older. We don't need to get into that. But one of the good things is tech is going to be going greener in 2024. And I like that. And that is a nice one to leave it on. Carmi Levy, such a pleasure. News Talk Tonight's technology expert. I'll talk to you again in the new year, my friend. Thanks so much, Tamara. Have a great one. You too. Coming up after the break, we've got more on News Talk tonight with me, Tamara Cherry, filling in for Jim Richards.